so many people hate their own response to the following question. So what does your company actually do? Because in this moment, my friend, you have three options, okay? Number one, pitch slap your prospect. Number two, fumble your way through a long-winded response. And number three, deliver a punchy elevator story that sparks intrigue. Now, if you're nodding your head at number three, but you're like, hold up, I don't even know where to begin, then hey, don't worry. I've got your back. All right, head on down to www.theraviregiani.com forward slash your elevator story to unlock your very own free elevator story script, template, and guide. Welcome to the Influential Communicator Podcast, where my mission is to help B2B salespeople sell more by becoming authentic storytellers and impactful communicators without suppressing who they truly are or their values. I'm your host, Ravi Rajani, and without further wait, let's get into it. From studying business administration at California State University, Bobby Joe Frazier went on to become an account executive for Chanel over in San Francisco. And as she worked her way up the ranks at different businesses, she found her way into sales leadership and unknowingly stumbled upon a passion of coaching other sales reps to not just progress rather professionally, but really progress as human beings. And today, she is the director of revenue enablement over at Active Track, and her mission is to align people with process so that they can create a memorable buying experience for all of their customers. And after having a chat with Bobby offline, I was like, man, I knew, I just knew, I was like, I need her to come on the show and really teach us how to communicate and create a frictionless buying experience in a recession. And hey, here we are. Bobby, welcome to the show, my friend. What's good? Oh, thank you so much. That's a wonderful introduction. I appreciate the kind words. <laughs> well deserved, huh? Well deserved. Well deserved. Oh, thank you. So, Bobby, tell me this. What's one moment inside of your origin story that you think the audience need to know about you to ensure they have enough context on who you are today? Yeah. So, uh, oh, one moment. That might be hard to pick one moment. I think there's probably a, maybe a couple of moments over over a timeline, if that's okay. I think one of those is for the majority of my life, I've I've been in some type or another of sales, and and as you mentioned, starting with Chanel, so in a retail high end space, making the leap to to tech and and then to SaaS from there. So lots of lessons learned along the way, but in the, the greater aspect of sales, but really through my work as an individual contributor and really working my way up the ranks. I, I, I actually started in tech as a sales development rep. So I started in the very bottom and worked up and found, like you said, that passion for enablement, like all the things I loved about what I was doing was like encompassed in this role. And when I found that a role like this existed, it was just like, that was my light bulb moment. Like this is where I'm supposed to be. Pure alignment, huh? Pure alignment. And as you said, started from yeah. the bottom, now we're here, as our boy right? Drake would say. You know what I'm saying? As our boy Drake would say. Right. So I do. I if, do. If you and I were hanging out, right, over, I don't know, lunch, dinner, drinks, whatever, and I said, Bobby, what do Active Track actually do? 
Would you be able to answer that in a way to give the audience context? So as we go through this episode, they're like, ah, I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah, definitely. So what ActiveTrack does, ActiveTrack is a, we're a workforce analytics platform to help companies align with their employees around productivity, efficiency, and engagement, right? Are your teams productive? Are they efficient? Are they engaged? Are you seeing you know, times when they're burnout? Is there some process inefficiencies that can be fixed based on the way that they're doing their work, right? Are people just not not getting to the things that they need to get done. So there's so many aspects within those workforce analytics. They tend to fall within those three buckets, though, productivity, efficiency, and engagement. I love data. And you know what happened the other day, Bobby? I was, I've got an aura ring on. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can see it. It's funny. I, I looked at ring analytics when I woke up, Bobby, and I was like, man, I feel great. I just can't wait to see what the data says about my REM sleep, how long I slept. And the data was just all red. And I was like, oh my God, I started feeling awful. I was like, man, like this sucks. And it's funny. Sometimes I look at the data and it really does help most of the time. But sometimes I feel like it can drown out our intuition. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's a really, really good call out. And you don't want to necessarily let the data drive the way you feel. Mm. But I would say it's often a good idea to let the data drive a a decision, right? (laughs) Um, We can't, we don't always want to base decisions, especially business decisions on how we feel. Yeah. I think you got to use both things together, right? And you're right. Sometimes you're like, hey, I worked 15 hours today, but I feel great and I feel like I got a lot done. Now, if I tend to do that, you know, 10 days in a row, I might not feel the same about it, <laughs> right? But sometimes it, the, the reverse can be true, right? Like sometimes I can have a day where I feel like I got nothing done. I was, you know, super distracted or just I didn't complete something or a project that I was really hoping to get done. And then I can go back and look at my own data and be like, wow, actually I spent you know, this much time on focus time, I was able to get all these other things done. And then I actually feel better. You make a really good point about the opposite. I love that. (laughs) And it's funny, a a mentor back in 2018 told me the following phrase, and it's just stuck with me. He said, listen, Rav, people lie, numbers don't. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. And it's really funny when we look at us feeling like we were busy. The question is, is, were we actually working on the right things? And the data can tell us that, right? And I don't know about you, but for me, when I'm making decisions, it's like, okay, how does this feel intellectually? And how does this feel intuitively? And I like to take a look at both and see how it feels. And for me, I don't know, sometimes even though it intellectually makes sense, intuitively, it's a no. if it's a no, it's like, ah, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. But anyway, I digress. That's a different podcast episode, people. So get this, Bobby. Bobby, by the way, do, do you have any kids, Bobby? I do. I have two daughters. They're six and eight. Of course. Of course. I remember actually asking you that when we met, but um, I didn't know their ages. So six and eight. That's beautiful. So mom is still cool. Yeah. Well, at least for the time being, I think probably when they're teenagers is when that is when that switches, right? <laughs> five years. You got five years. You got five years. But you, I think you'll be, you'll be able to get what I'm about to say, which is, look, I'm a new dad. I've got a daughter, six months old. And for the first few months, I really lent on companies like Deliveroo, which is, I suppose, equivalent to your Grubhub. And here's the thing. Due to the frictionless buying experience, 
convenience and ease really took over where they made it really difficult for me to not buy from them, which is really what I want to talk to you about today, which is how can we make it difficult for people not to buy from us because we're really leaning on the idea of convenience and ease. So for you, Bobby, what are tech companies missing right now, in your opinion, when it comes to creating a frictionless buying experience? Yeah, great question. I've been doing a lot of our own internal research on on answering this. And I've found that since a lot of tech companies are remote, are staying remote, maybe teams that were slightly siloed before have become more siloed. And so it really starts with mapping that customer experience journey from end to end, like from first prospect to the, you know that buying journey, they're coming up on renewal, they churn like, or they stay, they expand all the way and mapping what that journey looks like and all those teams that are involved and understanding where there can be friction points or a fragmented experience due to teams being siloed, right? And I've seen that happen, especially if you maybe you have a model where there's an an AE that sells the new business and then it passes to a customer success manager to then own that relationship. Sometimes that handoff cannot be great, right? <laughs> or maybe they're supposed to go into, you know, work with an onboarding team at some point first and then move on. And if we don't make that journey seamless and frictionless for them, it can be very easy for a customer to be like, hey, this, this wasn't a great experience, right? I've actually heard a, a saying that really, really resonated with me. And it's that customer experience starts with the seams between the teams, right? So let's think about that. You're using a food ordering service. Even as your kids get older, that's never going to go away. <laughs> they make it too easy. I still do all that. But let's think about when we do go to a restaurant. There's tons of different teams that you encounter in a restaurant. You walk in and there's a host or the hostess that seats you and they you know, take you to your table and go, hey, your server is going to be with you shortly. Well, if those teams weren't communicating and maybe that server went on a break and didn't let the hostess know, or maybe, you know, the hostess didn't let the server know that they've been sat another table and suddenly you're sitting there for 20 minutes and no one's come and talk to you or take your drink order. And you're like, but I really need a margarita. I have a six month old baby at home. I need this margarita. But you're sitting there and now you're starting to get like annoyed and angry and you watch three other people walk by, maybe a couple of them are a busser and one's another server and they go, well, not my table, right? And they don't take stop to kind of communicate with you or communicate with the server like, hey, it looks like you've got someone that's been sitting for a while. It's the same thing that we deal with in tech, just at a different level, right? We're not communicating with the rest of our teams that participate in that customer journey of where they're at. Sometimes people just get dropped off somewhere and they're sitting there like, okay, what's next? What am I supposed to do? How do I roll this out? And that can really sour the experience. Bobby, I just want to acknowledge you for a sec. And I've done this offline, but I purposefully and intentionally want to do it online. That was such an incredible analogy using storytelling to help us understand exactly what it looks like in tech sales. So for those of you who are listening to this right now and are trying to sell an idea or vision, 
just like rewind and listen to what Bobby did there. She took us to an example that everyone gets, right? Of being in a restaurant and then relayed it back to really the question that I asked her. So I loved that. That was, that was dope. That was dope. Cut. Pause or whatever we need to say for me to get your attention. Because before we get back to the show, I have some breaking news. Okay, listen, ladies and gents, feature selling is dead and story selling is alive. Because if you really want to build trust, stand out and close more deals in a recession, then you need to try something new so you can drive your company to a world of efficiency and profitability. And that's exactly why I've opened up many slots this year for different companies to partner with me for implementing my story selling framework inside of their sales process. Now, the outcomes are all the good stuff. I'm talking about increasing average order value, collapsing time inside of your sales cycle and driving win rates. But more importantly, transforming your team to sell in a way that really focuses on human connection. And hey, that's what I'm all about. So if you're nodding your head right now, then head on down to www theravirajani.com forward slash contact to book your complimentary discovery call to see if there's alignment. And hey, if there is, great. And if there's not, that's cool too. I'll see you on the other side. The question on the back of that, Bobby, is say you've got a sales leader and a CSM leader who don't necessarily see eye to eye. Okay. And let's say if we look at across the funnel, the sales leader has their own process and their own vision of what it should look like when it's handed over. And so does CSM. How do you break down silos and create one cohesive process that everybody feels great about? Yeah, good question. And it's a hard one, right? Especially when if you have teams that are kind of Sometimes we can tend to get a us first them attitude, right? Yeah. You have to just address it. And I don't know, do we get them in a room like fight club and like let them work it out? <laughs> Probably not the best idea. It could be entertaining, right? But I think the easiest way to do that one, you let's, hey, let's hear them both out, right? Let's, let's come together and talk about a process that, that can be a collaboration. But I think when you're, if you're mapping this journey, and, and finding, hey, here's the friction points. Instead of saying, we're going to build a plan we're gonna, where we're going to reassess and, and redo our entire customer journey and process, like that's a lot. And you're going to get a lot of like groans, like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Like, what? look, let us just do what we do, right? But if you can map the journey and find those, you know, smaller points where there's an easy win, this is an easy change, right? And it's going to make it, it better. And when you're announcing this change that you want to make, you always you always have to lead with the whiffum, right? What's in it for me? How what are they going to gain from this? And if you tackle those easy wins and they go, oh my god, this is much better, then you're going to get the buy-in on both sides of the fence to where they'll want to start tackling the more difficult ones. But I think you got to start with the easy wins to get people on board with what you're trying to do. <laughs> And always, you got to always position it with what's in it for me. I love that. And it sounds though, from what I'm hearing is getting a yes boils down to creating micro wins. So you earn the opportunity for making bigger changes. Am I right? Or Absolutely. Yeah. Just like a sales process, right? You got to get the little wins to finally get to the big one. Yeah. It's the same with enablement. You don't want to jump in and reinvent the wheel, but if we can kind of get things moving in the 
in the right direction. And then people start to see the momentum and the goodness that comes from that. And yeah. And you're starting to see like, wow, customers are more happy. This is this is working. Hey, this handoff is a lot smoother. I have a better idea of what's going on in these accounts that I'm that I'm taking over or you know, you get your AEs and your CSMs working working better together. So all the little things that over time can make that that kind of culture shift to where you can get rid of that, you know, us versus them attitude. Yeah. And then this is also a time where it's great to lead with data when you can show them, hey, this is this is the data of the improvements that we made and how much better it's gotten. Then like you said, the numbers don't lie, right? Such a good point. Because in that scenario, the numbers don't lie and they're going to point towards specific results, right? So that's super important. I'm with you there. And you mentioned something around the lines of getting rid of friction, getting rid, I'm hearing a lot, and elimination. So really less is more, it sounds like. I don't know about you and I'd love your take on this, but I don't know about you, but I sometimes feel like if somebody is maybe feeling some imposter syndrome or insecure about something in their role, they may add tons of layers onto something for protection versus is think about it in a presentation. Sometimes somebody may over talk to justify their expertise. And I think sometimes this goes on in the buying experience. So from your perspective, I don't know if you can answer this, but what's your take on that? And also, is there a number of touch points that you are working towards that active track to try and get the entire process down to? Yeah, good question. So as far as like the number of touch points, it's hard to say, hey, here's the exact number because there's going to be some difference. You know, we have a enterprise team, there's an SMB team that can look a little bit different, right? We have customers that go through a high touch onboarding path versus more of a digital path. Those touch points will look different. So there's going to be kind of different processes and way that those journeys are mapped across that. So it's hard to just pinpoint a specific number. But I think the more important thing, instead of saying, hey, here's the number of touch points there needs to be, it's, you know, how can we eliminate ineffective touch points? Like if it's just noise and not bringing value, like it's probably not necessary, right? But if you're if you're bringing value in all those touch points, then, you know, and they're effective and they're, they're necessary. So it's harder to, to say, hey, this is the exact number of touch points with the exception of like, prospecting sequences, you tend to like, oh, here's the amount of touches we get in before we give up. Like those are tend to be a bit more prescriptive in that exact number way. But I think the other important part of that and and understanding, it's not just eliminating the friction points, but sometimes you're eliminating the voids too, right? Like, hey, how come we haven't talked to this person in six months? Like what's going on here, right? Like sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes it's like, no, we need to be a little bit more engaged versus we're hitting them way too much, right? Such a good point. Such a good point. I'm hearing this across the board where CSM teams are struggling with the percentage penetration of certain accounts. And it's because once they buy, they're like, oh yeah, they're a customer. I'll see you later. That That's, that's really interesting. I want to touch on that, but I want to just take it back for a second. You said the words effective and ineffective touch points. How do you decipher what's effective versus ineffective? Like, is there certain data that you look at? Like, how are you deciding what's valuable or not? Yeah, that's, and that's hard. That's hard to do, right? In my opinion, I always, hey, if we're we're reaching out, are we reaching out to provide value in some way? Not just, hey, just checking in, like just those meaningless touch points that I'm sure we've all gotten at some point or another, or that we've probably all done at some point in another in our sales career, because we're like, 
I need to talk to this person, but I don't know how to like get that going. So you just kind of like throw something out there and they're like, yeah, that was, this brings me no value. Right. So I think as long as you're being like intentional in, in your touch points and in your communications and trying to, to drive value and trying to engage in a meaningful way. And that, that can look different depending on where, where you're at in that sales cycle, right? You know, if you're in the pre-sales cycle, it, it may be sharing some piece of content that helps them to better understand how to have a conversation about your tool with their executive team or, or to their, um, you know, economic buyer that your champion has to go and present to or something, right? It's like might be arming them with that information. And that's super valuable to them, right? Whereas when it's an existing customer, it, it could be, hey, hey, we're, you know, having a, a webinar to help you better get your account set up and, and configured in a way that's going to be make the tool more valuable for you. That could be valuable for them, right? But if we're just like hitting them with noise all the time that doesn't carry value, I think people stop listening, right? So then when you do try to hit them with something that could be valuable, they've already, you've been muted at that point, right? So I think as long as the either the reps or the, you know, the CSMs or even your support team or your marketing team are intentional. Like here is the value that I'm trying to drive with this person before hitting send or before picking up the phone. I think that can go a long way versus I need to talk to this person. Let me call them. And then they get on the phone and you're just like, Hey, so Oh, do not really know what I'm calling for. I just feel like I'm supposed to have a touch point with you at this day. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I know. I remember feeling that way as a seller, as an individual contributor at one point where I knew I had to hit an activity metric and getting in touch with them. And I did, but it was just like, yeah, what's up, bro? How you doing? And it's like, what do you want? Right. It's like, Hey, just following up on the follow up on the thing. And you're like, no, that's not, that's not going to drive the value. Right. (laughs) So that's the other, that's the other part of this, right? Are you, are you value selling? Are you driving value or are you just, you know, feature selling? That's a whole other podcast, I'm sure, but it it ties into this because it's part of the customer experience as well. Right. I hear you. I hear you, my friend. And as you were talking about touch points and making them effective, it got me thinking about the differences between salespeople, CSMs, and the way that they think about selling and touch points and what they are. So I, I'd love your take on this. Yeah. So as a commercial leader, before I went off and did my own thing, I was looking after just before I left onboarding, CSM and sales. And one of the things that would happen is often clients would enjoy the experience with an individual seller. And then they would come on board, the salesperson would leave and they're like, whoa, I've got to start a new relationship with somebody in CSM. I need to increase the touch points to develop that relationship. But oh, can I just deal with the person before this key person risk starts to form where the salesperson has to engage in more touch points, which drains their energy and they can't focus on selling. And I suppose I don't really know what the question here is. This is me just more, I suppose, looking for your thoughts and perspective on that. Yeah. And it's very real. It's a very real problem that happens. I mean, we see that, right? So when I when I say, hey, let's let's map what that customer experience looks like and where the friction point can be, this is this is exactly that. Here's where this drops here and this goes here. And, and a friction point that we hear about often is 
yeah, I don't know. I've suddenly I'm working with this other person. I don't know what's going on. Like I'm getting asked all the same questions again that I told this other person. So huge area of a fragmented customer experience. So how can we make that better? Right. And there's a few different ways, right? And every company is going to be a little bit different. But what we've tried doing at ActiveTrack, one, let's make sure that we're documenting very, very well what's being asked and what's being said. A CSM should absolutely go in and, and re-understand and, and make sure they, they have a good grasp of a person's pain points, what they were trying to solve, how we're bringing them value, what their use cases, all the things. But you don't have to go and redo like that entire discovery that the AE did and answer, re-answer, re-ask all those same questions, right? Because it just, it feels like they're like, is this, is this Groundhog Day? What is going on, right? So an open share of the information from the AE to the CSM is going to go a really long way in helping that. And so imagine this, Ravi, you 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 just purchased this piece of software and I'm your CSM and and you get on the call with me. I go, okay, so you know, tell me a little bit about what brought you to checking out ActiveTrack. And you're like, what day is it? Didn't we go through this? Right. Or if I go, hey Ravi, I understand that you're really interested in understanding how your remote teams are working and what it looks like when people are are not engaged or your processes are inefficient. Tell me a little bit more about that. Right. It's the same question, but I already told I told you what I already know. I'm not asking you to start it from the beginning. And I think that can go a long way in that experience and and rebuilding that relationship for the CSM. Because you're right. A lot of times people have, hey, I got this great relationship with my salesperson. Now I have this other person. Who is this person? But if they come in and be like, I've done my homework and I, I know where I'm at and, and how to get you from new customer on. I think that relationship can start a little bit further down that path than, hey, we're starting from ground zero. Um, so the CSMs need to not start from ground zero. Get that information, get that info and the brain dump, if you will, from your AEs and know what's going on. Another really cool way of, of integrating that is it doesn't, they don't have to meet here. They can meet here. You know, hey, this deal is definitely closing. We're in a good place. Let me bring the CSM on a few calls and and start doing that, or if it's an onboarding team in between, and start doing that kind of softer handoff and setting that expectation that I've gotten you to this point, you are in great hands, and we're going to take you all the way to the end. And then there's that overlap. So it doesn't feel so jarring when it's not like throw them over the fence, right? (laughs) Which sometimes that's, I mean, that's how things work. Oftentimes it goes, AE deals booked, toss it over the fence, right? Totally, totally. So I think if you can get that overlap, it, it helps a lot. And I think one thing that you did again, which I just want to call out because I'm pretty sure you did it intentionally, was you said, Ravi, imagine you are da 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 da. So, ladies and gents, here's what happened in my mind. When she started her story with that, guess what I start doing? I start imagining myself as the main character inside of that story going through that arc. So just once again, a beautiful way when you're talking to customers, people do uh, make the client the hero of your story. That's exactly how you do it, right? And you walk them through that arc and the transformation. So I love that, Bobby, uh, Bobby Joe Frazier. I love that. I love that. So tell me this. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I keep calling you. I keep calling out your, your, your greatness in these moments. It's good. It's good. So I love the idea of the overlap. But as you were talking, it got me thinking about you know, we're speaking a lot about what's wrong with buying experiences, but 
what was the last thing that you personally bought online where you were like, oh my God, or in person where you were like, oh my God, that was incredible. I just want to buy from them again. Oh, that's a good question. So I probably buy way more things online than I should. <laughs> so I think there's 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 been a couple of things. One, if if we're kind of just relating it to the to the the work world and the you know buying software, when I got the enablement platform that we use, it was it was a really great experience end to end. And I and I still to this day meet with my CSN there regularly. And that that handoff was very seamless and they were very like it was just like, I was like, oh, okay, we need to like emulate this in some of what we do. So there's that. But I think probably some of my best buying experiences, you know, just outside of that one being, you know, good end to end usually happen when something goes wrong. <laughs> As I mentioned that, you know, the customer experience starts at the seam, you know, the seams between the teams. If something goes left, who's going to make it right? In my experience as a seller, most of my biggest champions or people that were willing to be references had something go wrong, right? Whether it was a technical issue, something happened and it's how did you step in and make that right for them? So for myself, any any buying experience I had where I tend to just be like, oh, this company is the best. It's probably because something went wrong. The sh shipping got messed up. My item was wrong. This is wrong. And you call them and then they have they have a choice, right? Of how they want to handle that experience. And that's usually the point where you're like, okay, I will do business with you again. And that was my, the same experience I had as, as a seller. Like, you know, okay, something went wrong with the tool. There's a bug. Something's not working. We got to fix this. But you surround them. And, and this is now you're bringing in multiple teams. You've got support. Maybe you've got a CSM. Maybe this is going all the way up to product, depending on what type of issue that they're having or engineering or something like that. But as long as they feel like, hey, these teams are working together, and giving me an amazing experience to make things right. And they feel heard and they feel like those seams are almost not there because support knows what's going on and they're escalating it to the right people. And those right people aren't asking you all over again what your problem is because they have all of the information. So you actually feel like you're making progress and getting to a, a, a remediation. To me, those are always the selling things where I'm just like, oh, that was great, right? Yeah. Even though it wasn't. Something went terribly wrong, but it ends up being great. And it, it's memorable for you. Like, wow, they really they really handled that well. So true. It's so true. When there's moments of imperfection and vulnerability, I think that's where true connection is built. And I also think you realize who somebody really is when things aren't going well. And it's similar in a buying experience, right? Like, uh, that, that's so true. And you speak about mistakes. What's one mistake that you've made when it comes to trying to create a great buying experience that you now look at and you're like, oh man, I'm so glad that happened, but damn, that was ugly. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. And there's, there's probably been many. So I think the, the first one, and this was like one of those early on imposter moments for me, I, I call it a dad suit where you feel like you're in your dad suit. It doesn't like quite fit. Right. And, and that's where you try to, you try to know more than you do to, cause you don't want to seem like you, you know, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Instead of saying, hey, I'm not really sure. Let me find out. You just try to answer things anyways. And then it turns out you're wildly wrong. And then someone has the complete wrong idea of what's about to happen or, or what they're going to get or how something's going to work. I personally learned very early on in my career. And it's something that you tend to see 
uh, younger or newer reps do because they they don't know how to say, I don't know, <laughs> right? But there's a lot of power in saying that you don't know something. One, it does bring you that moment of, of vulnerability, right? And then you get a chance to prove to them like, hey, I don't know, but I'm going to, I'll get it for you. Like, let me, let me go do that for you. So that actually ends up being more powerful sometimes than just like, I have all the answers, right? So I think that's always like the big, one of those big early on aha moments, especially if you, if at any point have had that imposter syndrome where you're trying to like get your bravado up and act like you kind of know everything that's going on. I think there's really something refreshing and being honest and candid with maybe something you're not too sure about. So that's probably the first one that that jumps out at me. Another one is where you companies, and I've been part of them in the same way, where, where it is that AE books the PO and they're just like, peace out. Like I'm done. I don't care. They're not giving any of information to the CSMs and the CSMs are just expected to figure this out and fend for themselves. Right. And it's like, no, you got it. You got to make that better. And I've seen that. I've experienced that as well. And I was probably guilty of that as an AE. You're like, yeah, I booked the deal on to the next. Right. Yeah. But understanding how you can continue to, to be a partner for that customer and a partner for your CSMs, right? It doesn't have to be us against them or the sellers against the customer success team. Really like working together, it's, it's, that's the secret sauce. It's, you're so right. I think the best feeling is when, well, twofold, when somebody says they don't know something and they introduce you to the right person, you then really see them as a trusted advisor versus trying to play that they do know. And the second thing is, is it's so nice when you've worked with the salesperson and you receive a call from them like, yo, how's, how's things going, man? I'm like, oh my God, you actually care. This is so good. So I'm with yeah. you, my friend. I'm with you. I'm with you. And you make a good point there with, with the trusted advisor, right? Like you don't have to know everything, but you can be the quarterback, right? And get them to the resources that they need. That's way more valuable than the, the person that, that knows everything, right? Because no one's going to know. Nobody. Nobody on planet Earth. And I think the beauty is we're all human and the right people would appreciate you putting them touch uh, them in touch rather with the right people. So Bobby, Joe, Frazier, we appreciate you, my friend. And before I let you go, all right, before I let you go, you know, the show is called The Influential communicator. So it's only right that I ask you, who is an influential communicator that you look up to, that you really absorb everything that they do from? And who are they? And why do you think they're so great? Yes. Oh, this is a, this is such a good question. And there's probably, I could probably name so many of them, but the ones that come top of mind, and this one comes top of mind because it's stuff that I am continually sending over to my sales team. Uh, so John Barrows, he's JB sales. So there's like tons of stuff that he throws out there and it's, it's super great. And I'm constantly sending that, Hey guys, check this out, check this out. Right. And then another one within the enablement space, Eli Cohen, he's the CEO of, of saleshood and he puts out some really, really great content as well. That's been super helpful for myself and enablement folks you know, around the world. So those are two that pop to mind just because they're the ones that almost every week, there's just something, some piece of content that they're putting out there that's like, man, this is really, really great. 
and gosh, there's probably so many more. I, I, I just, I listen to tons of podcasts and, and check out content like all over the place, but it's hard to, when you're put on the spot to remember all of those. <laughs> yeah. Well, you came up with two good people. Um, I didn't know about Eli's work, so I'll definitely, I'll definitely check him out, but Hey, we appreciate you, my friend. And, you know, before we let you go, where can people go to learn more about you, but also active track? Yeah, so best place to learn more about ActiveTrack, probably the website, ActiveTrack.com. Also on LinkedIn. You can check me out on LinkedIn, um, Bobby Joe Frazier. I'll pop up there and, and that's pretty much where you'll find all you need to know about me and, and beyond. So thank you so much. This was so much fun. Oh, good, my friend. It was so great talking to you. Yeah, you too. You too. And hey, audience, if you feel the same way, if you've enjoyed this conversation, here's exactly what I'd like you to do. Okay. I want you to take a screenshot of where you're listening to this right now. And I want you to head on down to LinkedIn and tag us. Yeah. I'll be myself in a post of what's the one thing that you took away from today's episode that really impacted you. We will respond. I promise. If we don't, then you can never talk to us again or you, you can just unfollow this podcast, right? We, we will come back to you on that. No pressure. <laughs> yeah, no, no pressure, all right? No pressure. But and ladies and gents, we will see you next week. Same time, same place. Peace. I have a question for you, my friend. And that question is, is what would it take to have you subscribe to the Influential Communicator podcast and leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice? Because I tell you what, my friend, my big mission is to help B2B sellers and all listeners of this show sell more by becoming influential storytellers and communicators without without suppressing their personality and disowning their value. So hey, the more the word gets out about this podcast, the more people we can gather on this mission. So if you could support me, then hey, that would be dope. And if not, that's dope too. Either way, I got love for you. All right, I'll see you on the other side.